I knew that my life was going to end one of two ways. And it was never like, oh, I'm just going to shoot dope and, and be a, a wino the rest of my life. No, no. Like that was not accepting to me. What was going to happen in my life was either I was going to overdose in the process or I was going to get sober. Change your actions and your thoughts will follow. Exactly. Because I can't think myself out of the terrible situation that I've created for myself coming from the problem, which is my thinking. Mm -hmm. So I had to like change my behaviors and, and, and become open-minded to finally be willing just enough to realize that I can't do it, but you clearly can. Can you show me? Right. And, and it worked when I went from possessing that job that consists of knowing everything to realizing what I do is do know is that I don't fucking know. The pain became so great that I was no longer like, Afraid. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. That's all I knew is that I no longer wanted to feel how I felt. The pain was like, I'm not the alcoholic that changes when shit's unmanageable. I change when it's unfucking bearable. So if you're hopeless and you feel that you can't change a behavior, you're like, I've tried 50 times, whether it's losing weight, whether it's finding love, whether it's getting sober, you should not stop listening to this podcast episode until the very end so that you could get some hope and probably some tools so you can make some changes in your life. But before we get there, make sure you click to subscribe, rate and review, and uh, share this. I put it out. It's free. It's free to listen to this. So share it with your friends, share it with your family, and also message me about it on social media. But my guest today is Brandon Novak. Thank you for coming on Always Evolving. I'm um, extremely honored. Uh, I'm extremely honored to be here and completely underprepared. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, it's um, sometimes it's really good to prepare if it's serious. It's a very, you know, important thing. Yeah. Well, you were preparing for your trip out here. I, and, <laughs> and what's the saying? When you want to make God laugh, tell him. Right, that you have plans. How your day is going to yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. How, how, how you soon next that, few days. That's me, man. Because you, <laughs> I had messaged you on social media. I think your story's fascinating. I think you're an interesting guy. We've never met. Never. This is. Yeah, this is our first. This is getting and, really uh, intimate really quick. Yeah. I love it. I know. <laughs> um, and you were coming out here because you were skateboarding. And you, you've been a pro skateboarder for many years, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I came out here, you know, at, at 42, I'm creating like a, a new video part, a, a, a video part that stands the test of time with the work that I've put into kind of getting to where I'm at in life. And uh, I have a lot of rad stuff. Just got back from Barcelona filming a lot out there. And, and I came out here to hit a few spots and a few tricks that I had on the list. And, and my first day in, I, 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 six days cleared the calendar, flew a filmer out with me, hotel rooms, cars, you know, first day out, I pull my groin and I'm out. Mm. The most expensive one trick I've ever acquired in skateboarding. <laughs> so I, I, Meanwhile, you're looking at the rates of hotels. Literally. Right? And now you're like, ah, oh, shit, I just booked someone for a week. Literally. Paid for everything. Uh, I, and I've, I, I'm not kidding you. I've watched that because I showed you the trick that I got at yeah. the first spot where I pulled my groin. And I've watched that trick like eight times a day to feel better about the position that I'm because in. Because you nailed it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, th hopefully this will justify. So you, you've, you, if you've been part of a, the crew that was in some of the jackass movies, you were, a would you say you were a skateboarding prodigy growing up? I'll answer that in a second, but I want to bring it back before I forget. Yeah. I loved how you started this out. Uh, if you're interested in changing yeah. your beliefs, then watch this in its entirety. And I'm a big fan, right? Because what the problem is, is our, our, our behaviors, our thinking and our attitude, right? It really has, um, the, 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 the catalyst that got me to the 12 step program that allowed me to have this psychic change, meaning I no longer think how I thought was learning that my behaviors were the problem, right? right? So what I learned is 
it is impossible for me to, to use the very same brain that landed me into my 13th inpatient treatment center to outthink myself out of the position that I had created for myself. So I'm a big believer in if you change your behaviors, your beliefs will soon follow. Mm. Right. So I just had to bring that yeah, back yeah, to what yeah. you said. I love change, that. Change your actions and your thoughts will follow. Exactly. Because I can't think myself out of the terrible situation that I've created for myself coming from the problem, which is my thinking. Mm -hmm. So I had to like change my behaviors and, and, and become open-minded to finally be willing just enough to realize that I can't do it, but you clearly can. Can you show me? Right. And, and it worked when I went from possessing that job that consists of knowing everything to realizing what I do is do know is that I don't fucking know. But you, but, but this was a, uh, something that you learned later in life. Oh so yeah. Talk to me about your childhood. Yeah. If you would have asked me at 30, 60, 90 days sober, what my childhood looked like, I would have told you with a straight face and a heart full of conviction that it was the most debilitating uh, childhood that any child should ever have to endure. And I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy. Get the fuck out of here. Right at now, now with coming up on seven years sober and, and finally having done like the internal work that was required in order to to achieve the external results that I've always desired, what I can tell you with a heart full of conviction is that I came from a really good home with loving family members that did the best that they could with what they had. Mm. And what that means is my mother got a, her very first job at the age of 15, drawing blood for $5 a pop, a phlebotomist, at you, if you will, at Mercy Hospital, and literally worked her way up the ladder to become a nuclear physicist on the board of that hospital. My father never held a job a day in his life. He taught me one thing, if and when I go to prison, how to conduct himself. Uh, he, wow. he, he acquired the liking of crack cocaine and his body shut down and he died as a direct result of his disease. What age were you? Uh, I was, my timeline's really foggy because I've basically been disconnected from reality from yeah, like 15 toasty. to is an understatement that's yeah. being generous from like from <laughs> 16 end of 16, 17 full blown heroin addict till 38. When I checked into my 13th God willing last treatment center, I was completely disconnected from reality. The way I kind of look at timelines is uh, I have this documentary coming out about my life and they said, where were you um, in 1999 winter December? -ish? And I'm like, I know exactly where I was. 1999 was the year that Y2K was about to happen, 2000. The, the whole world was in a frenzy that everything was going to shut down because the computers wouldn't be able to equate. Right. So me and two of my running buddies were homeless in, in East Baltimore and uh, we had crowbars and, and pillowcases and we were going to rob and loot once the power went out and the world shut down at midnight. And unfortunately, it didn't happen. Therefore, <laughs> uh, January 1st, I checked myself into a detox, 2000. That's how my mind thinks of where I was at. Right, that time. Right, you know right. what I mean? It's not yeah, like, yeah, oh. No, I'm, I'm with you. It kind of, um, it's hard to remember much when you're getting high all the time. It's a giant fog. Yeah. And I think the same applies too for any self-destructive behavior in general. You just, when you're numb, if you numb yourself out enough, you lose track and sense of everything yeah. because you're just numb and you're just, you know, the same, same goes with someone who's highly clinically depressed, you know, can't leave the house. They have no track of time. You know, it's also why they may go a week without showering. Sure. They just literally are just in this routine that they just can't get out of. But you had to have been amazing at skateboarding because all the videos I was watching in the interviews with you talked about how great of a skateboarder you were at a young age. So that's the thing, right? My, my, my mother's a nuclear physicist. My right. father dies of addiction. My brother turns out to be an attorney in the White House practicing pension and benefits. So I, I, I'm not a fool by any means and I come from better, I know better. Um, but the complexity and severity of my disease, which is defined as alcoholism, um, states that like, it, uh, the disease of addiction doesn't discriminate mm -hmm. from the White House or the outhouse. The results are all the same. Um, and 
for me, at the age of 17, I was blessed with the ability to, for someone to put a skateboard in my hand. I think we all have these these God-given talents. So you didn't skate until 17? No, seven, seven. Oh, seven. I right? was just- like, I think God, you could be the best ping pong player in the world, but God might not see fit to, to allow a paddle to find your hand. Right. You know, like someone literally placed a skateboard in my hand at seven years old. Yeah. And that night when my mother put me to bed, she said, what would you like me to do with your skateboard? And I, I remember it like I'm touching this chair. I said, I want it in bed with me. She said, why? I said, because if I die, I want it to go with me. Like the moment that board touched my hand, I knew I was going to be a skateboarder for the rest of my life. There was no reason wow. for like a plan B, a trait or an option, which, which oddly enough, that, that skill set kind of transcended into my drinking and drugging career that maybe you can relate to despite any and all adverse consequences that come my way. I did what I had to do to get what I wanted to get. Right. Right. So then at, at the age of 15, I'm like the first skateboarder, uh, to be endorsed by Gatorade. They're, they're flying me to Chicago to the Quaker Oats building where they make Gatorade at the time. And they put me on this treadmill and Michael Jordan on, is on a treadmill next to me and they strap these EKGs to our chest and wow, give us each Gatorade to see the effects that it has on different sports players. You know, so, so literally from- God gave you the gift where you had an amazing balance Everything yeah. just kind of came naturally on a skateboard. Yeah, like football, Let me don't ask bother. You, I remember in high school, I was friends with all the different cliques and groups of people. But I always remember the ones that skated, even in junior high. And I, and I was friends with some of these guys. I wasn't deep in that world because I couldn't even rollerblade. You know, I, was, <laughs> I couldn't pog. I don't know if you remember pogs. I couldn't pog. You're dating yourself at this point, man. What's that? You're dating yourself yeah, at yeah, this yeah. point. Yeah, I played basketball. Yeah. My whole family's tall. I'm the shortest male. Oh, wow. So, so we didn't skate or surf. But why does that? I always think this is interesting. Same thing with hip hop. Hip hop, they'll sing so much about Percocet and drugs and it's a part of the thing right it's part of the art that they say with skating i don't know why growing up i had this impression that skateboarders were black sheep kind of outcast vibes that would uh get angry quickly (laughs) this is a total generalization but they would get angry quickly and you didn't want to touch the cactus yeah you're not you're not wrong let's just say you're not wrong i think for for me and the rest of my people which are skaters we were kind so here's the deal right going up in high school i was not the cool kid i was not the sociably accepted kid whose mailbox overflowed with invites to the keg party on friday nights right right i was the kid doing kick flips in the parking lot and like the varsity sports guys from the football team would throw my board on the roof right true story and then you fast forward to I start ending up in these magazines, Thrasher and Transworld. And um, I'll never forget it. Spanish class, uh, ninth grade. I love this chick, Natasha, smoke show, right? She wants no part of me. I get an ad in Transworld Skateboarding Magazine. I bring the magazine in and I just leave it on the desk, her desk, ironically. And I'm watching. I like so coincidental. And I'm watching during class and she starts flipping through. And all of a sudden she puts two and two together and points at me. And literally by the end of that day, I was invited to like every one of those parties and Natasha was my girlfriend. You know what I mean? So that quick, but, but prior to that, we weren't the cool kids and, and we like didn't have it easy. If you're looking at it from that perspective, yeah, why, of in that why world. is, why is that with skateboard? And has that changed much? Do you think? Well, I think now it absolutely has. It's totally become not only accepting and acceptable, but promoted widely because it was just in the Olympics. Right. So remember the sticker skateboarding is a crime. Right. To now skateboarding is in the Olympics. Yeah. I remember the skateboarder. <laughs> I grew up in Nellie Gale ranch and I want to say in Laguna Hills. And I, I remember it was like, they shouldn't allow skateboarders in this parking lot. I guess skateboarders would take over parking lots, right? You're Certain the reason why lots. we were so pissed off. Uh, it wasn't me. <laughs> I'm, just I'm just kidding. kidding. But yeah, the mothers. Yeah, like, sure. It, because skateboarders would take over parking lots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And drink and party. And why do you think it's because there's risk involved with skateboarding that that also kind of breeds 
behaviors that are more adrenaline focused or getting high? I can't give a generalized statement as to why that's so, but what I can do is give you my experience yeah. with my world that brought me into recovery ultimately. Um, it is for me in the skateboarding world, there was really little to no accountability. Right. Like I didn't have my boss consisted of a team captain in Santa Barbara, California for Pal Peralta while I'm living in Baltimore, Maryland. So I'm like a, a, a 13, 14 year old kid who's going to the payphone, shoveling like five dollars worth of quarters in to make a collect call to tell Todd about a trick I've learned this week or a new video part that I'm filming or a product that I need. Right. Like I'm not showing up to a nine mm. to five clocking in where a boss and coworkers can see my behaviors. Right? right. My no one's monitoring or, or, or keeping into account my behaviors and right. when they're shifting, no matter which way that is. And being the young kid that I was, but very gifted and talented, right? Being blessed with a skateboard, uh, older people took me in. I skated with older guys, not kids of my age. I didn't have to come in when the street lights came on. Um, we traveled around and, and they accepted me. And therefore, Everything that I've learned in my life is retrospect. My life is live forward and learn backwards. So at the time, I could not see this. I was right. incapable of seeing the situation. Today, I can see it as clear as day, it is that by the time I had drifted too far out to sea and, and wasn't very like redeemable or salvageable, people just thought that there was a method to my madness because of the prior success to that point. You know what I mean? So like, ah, he's cool. He must know what he's doing. Right. He's, I mean, he's at 15, he's, or 14, he's sponsored by Gatorade. At 15, he's, you know, designing his prototype pro shape for Pal Peralta. Yeah, it's, it's like, I think of it as mu musical artists I've worked with that are more in the indie space. They'll sometimes when they're uh, doing something or, or they're addicted or what have you, they'll say, well, they're just, they're very tortured. <laughs> you know, they're a tortured soul. I'll be like, no, they're a drug addict. Yeah, I would say it's just a but, fancy word for they're addiction. They're using this mirage Absolutely. Of, you know, the brilliance comes from this. No, they just want to get high or they're just being entitled. Sure, you know, I couldn't agree more. But, you know, at that point in time, the disconnection from reality that we're in, that completely makes sense because right. the abnormal is the normal. So it's like, no, fuck you for not seeing that I'm a tortured soul. Right. Today, now, coming up on seven years sober, again, having done the work, it's so clear for me to see that, that, you know, the mirage, the tortured soul, the tortured artist that produced these great outcomes is simply just a justification of fancy words for I'm an addict or an alcoholic. Right. Yeah. You were addicted to heroin for how many years? Yeah. From like 17 to 38. Your first rehab was when? At the beautiful, ripe, young age of 17. So right after you started. Yeah. Because you loved it so much. And I'm guessing there was a consequence or someone intervened? Well, the, 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 there wasn't a consequence. It was more like, I'm going to go to this treatment center to prove a point why I'm, A, not my father, because I couldn't stand him at the time, right? Because Do you remember which one? Which father? No, which rehab? <laughs> yeah, the very well. The, uh, no, the name of it. No. no. Oh, I do. Mountain Manor in Baltimore. Uh, it was a juvenile facility. I was seventeen years old. No, I was taken to it, and and I went there simply to prove a point that this was an overreaction at best. You just Who cost me at a go? bad Your time. It was my well. They it was she offered it, and but now keep in mind, two months prior. To this offer from my mother and my girlfriend, I was given the same opportunity from Pal Peralta, which was my dream childhood, like end all be all. Mm. So they said if I went to treatment, I could, you know, save my life and continue to skate for the team, which is all I ever wanted. Pal Peralta is Pal Peralta, Tony Hawk, Bones Brigade. The crew of the legends. Yeah. Yeah. I was there. I was in that crew. Yeah. And uh what I did again, what I didn't know then that I know now is is the severity of my disease that I've been diagnosed with, titled alcoholism or addiction. Uh, it, it it did not allow me to have the privilege to sit things out because they weren't safe for my life, right? So so when that ultimatum was given to me at seventeen, never had been in treatment, no interactions or repercussions from my addiction, the disconnection from reality was so insane and so far already that I was completely incapable of seeing it that I, uh, for the first time in my life, they attempted to stand between me and my drug. And without a breath of fresh air in my lungs, I said, I quit. I'm done. Mm. You know? And then I celebrated that night by continuing to get 
as high as possibly could be. So then cut to three months later, my mother and my girlfriend come to me with the very same offer. And, and the, the, the realistic answer that you would have to what I'm about to say is, Oh, he would never go. Why would he go if he just turned it down from them? But again, the disconnection from reality, I'm like, you know what? That's a great idea. I'm already like the psychic, the mind is just insane. The the, the disease is so far on me. And, And I went to prove a, I'm not my father. B, I can use successfully. This is just an overreaction at best. You caught me at a bad time on a bad way in a bad day. Mm-hmm. Um, and tomorrow's going to be different. And I meant that. But unfortunately, I'd wake up tomorrow to repeat yesterday's actions and I'd be stuck in Groundhog's Day for 24 years. But I was incapable of seeing that. So I went in there focusing only on the differences, not the similarities. And how, and how many times did you do that? Well, I'm the kind of guy that, that I'm a firm believer in a hard head makes for a soft ass. And I absolutely have the softest ass Dude, in this room. A hard head makes for a soft ass. Tony, what does that mean? When you <laughs> I are, don't know. A hard <laughs> head makes for a soft ass. A hard head makes for a soft ass. I guess that means I have a hard head, Mike. <laughs> I don't know. That's so you're also saying you have a very soft ass, Tony. Is that yeah, what, that's exactly what okay. I'm saying? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but that's good. But do do you think? And this is just me asking. Did the drugs like elevate like your skateboarding, like your skills? Like, oh, did it you did feel the exact like the opposite? It did. Yeah. I, I you know I started to neglect my responsibilities. Did you believe at any time that it was helping? Was there a no. period where you're like, oh? I, no, no, never. You no, knew. I knew. You knew. Yeah. I, I let's put it this way. I, I was not like the go getter on heroin. You know, I wasn't like right. getting high. Like, oh, I'm gonna go film this clip and do. I you was would like do a weak uh, sister kick flip. <laughs> it would be a sad, <laughs> yeah. tired kick flip. Yeah. Weak, right? Yeah. right with the lights are. It's it's almost yeah. he would go when it's kind of getting dark out. So uh, it's not even good lighting, really. And you're wearing clothes that probably are not washed. Oh, that's well at that point and time in my life, I was still pretty put together. You were. Yeah. At, at that this How very many early stage. In did you stop being put together? I'd say, let's see, probably around number eight, around number eight, you know? And, and that's when, again, the repercussions was part of it because you just wanted to clean your system at a certain point. You were like, all right, I'm sick of being addicted to heroin. It's I, I have these feelings. I don't want to keep, like, I just want to detox myself. Was some of it spin drying or was it really you intentionally were trying to prove you weren't your dad several times? You know, what I've learned is that looking back is, is and I say this to people, none of those attempts do I categorize as failures. Right? right. I believe everyone was a success in its own right because these seeds were planted right along the way. And I, I did the worst thing I could say it one more time. Cause I think it's, it's awesome. N- none of these attempts were failures because every time that I attempted to get sober, these seeds were planted that, you know, ignorance is bliss when you don't know you're not to be held accountable, but when you know, you know, and, and try shooting a glass of, uh, try shooting a bag of dope when it's cut with NA or, or drinking a glass of wine when it's cut with AA. Right. It doesn't quite sit so right because I'm accountable for my actions because ignorance is no longer bliss because I did the worst thing I could have ever done for my career of addiction or alcoholism. I sat through a 12 step meeting or successfully or unsuccessfully, unsuccessfully completed a treatment center. But nonetheless, I sat there and, and some things were acquired, you know? Right. And, and so, so what happened was, you know, after all these attempts, finally the pain became great enough that all these seeds that were planted along the way completely just like blossomed and, and it all kind of connected the sky parted and I walked across water. It's, it's insane. But along the way, it was different reasons for each time. And, and that's the complexity of alcoholism and addiction, right? Like a lot of times I meant and believed what I was doing and I'm going to remain sober and I'm never going to do this again. And I'm a changed individual. Sometimes I did it because the parole officer was going to violate me and I was going to go back to prison. You got arrested what, six times? Yeah. Fuck. I've lost count. Okay. Yeah. I was like a, a, a nuisance to the system, right? I've never committed a, 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 a violent crime 
I, I was like a, a a possession possession with intent, uh, theft under like stealing clothes. To, you know, just just annoying <laughs> to to police to courts right. to probate. I was just annoying. It was like a gnat that wouldn't go away. So I never really did any real time except for the one time I forged a prescription and. Uh, and that's, they don't take that too lightly. And that's a felony. And, and I got caught for that while I was filming uh, Jackass, actually. Wow. That's a whole other story. Um, so it, it just depended on the particular trip to said treatment center of what my reality looked like then, what the circumstances were. You know, Because I think a lot of people, after trying to stop something as... Um, self-destructive as heroin um after and and people do this with their behaviors even with diets or they do it with they try a, a business and it fails so they never do it again i tried it and you know they it's kind of this black and white period of time where somehow it's going to inform everything sure it sounds like you kept coming back kept attempting regardless of the the dysfunction in it there was a part of you that kept leading you to do that i love exactly how you just worded what you said and i don't even think you i know you don't realize what you said but if you think about it how i kept coming back i kept attempting i attribute a lot of my sobriety and recovery as a direct result of my skateboarding right skateboarding weeds out the quitters mm. and i will skate a ramp a parking lot, a curb, steps, a rail, for days on end trying one trick. And quitting is not an option, right? Like, and I just try and try and try until that one makes. So I, I really you know, attribute a lot of my sobriety, there's a lot of moving parts to it, but a lot of it from that skateboard mm. that I was blessed with at seven years old. Skateboarding weeds out the quitters. And so therefore, like, I knew that my life was going to end one of two ways. And it was never like, oh, I'm just going to shoot dope and, and be a, a wino the rest of my life. No, no. Like that was not accepting to me. What was going to happen in my life was either I was going to overdose in the process or I was going to get sober. Mm. And I remember like being on the set of Viva La Bam, filming the Viva La Bam stuff. And afterwards we'd go out to the party and just, I mean, go to the bar and just get loaded. And, and I'd tell Bam who I live with, I'd be like, yo, I'm, I'll meet you at the pub. Mm. He's like, where are you going? And I'm like, I'm going to go to a meeting. He's like, what the fuck? You're going to go to an AA meeting and then you're going to meet us at the bar after. And I'm like, yeah, because the reality is I knew that my life was going to end one of two ways. And then once I get into the program and learn about the steps and the traditions, the third tradition is the only desire for membership is the, the only requirement for the, uh, for membership is the desire to stop drinking. You know, and I had that the whole time. So like, yeah. And I think that, so what you're saying is through all these experiences, because culture does, and even in the rooms at times, there is this very black and white, your, your length of time is celebrated. It, it's kind of similar, even though I don't necessarily agree that we have to applaud uh, marriages that have lasted so long um, or sobriety. I mean, it's one day at a time. We have this moment we have today. It's amazing. It's admirable as we, you know, have over 19 years sober, but it's kind of like, uh, once you start the process, you're feeding your soul with new information, new tools, new wisdom, and you're the type of guy that didn't shut down and revert back to being just 17 years old. It's interesting because some people that I've worked with, they'll go off. There's, you know, when you talk about still going to an AA mean or an NA mean and still having a desire and keep on trying, it's kind of like skateboarding. The, that's the brilliance of what you have because you never really lost faith. Yes. Even as bad as it got, even yeah. as you were doing things that were horrible and you look back and you're like, oh God, that, that was really dysfunctional. You still kept coming back and you still kept showing up. And do you think, what, what was, is there a moment or do you think it's a collection of tools that have led to you now accumulating several years? 
people ask that. They're like, well, what was the difference? What, why treatment center number 13? And the reality is that question is completely valid. Like, to be honest. You like that number. Uh, I, you happen I, to I've like become that become that, a fan of that number. I, I've become <laughs> later. But I, you know, treatment center number 13 didn't teach me anything that 12, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, or 1 missed. They did not. And I didn't know what was going to be different, if anything was going to be different. What I can say for certain, without a shadow of doubt, is that finally, uh, what I've learned today, I didn't know it at the time, but May 25th, 2015, I was divinely inconvenienced, faith, right? Divinely inconvenienced in just such a manner that the God of my understanding showed up and created just a big enough gap between me and the last bag of heroin that I shot into my arm that allowed me to have that moment of clarity to see what my life really looked like was. And I was no longer accepting of it. I was no longer accepting of it. And after having tried to get sober, 12 inpatient treatment centers, lost count of outpatients and detoxes, all those seeds that were planted, a lot of things took place in a very short period of time. Number one, maturity, right? 38 years old, no yeah. longer accepting of my position that I placed myself in. I, Brandon Novak, do that. It was no longer like the parole officer, both ex-fiancés, you know, the, the judge, the mother. No, like I, I did this to myself. So I, right. right away, I took accountability for my actions unbeknownst to me. I just all made sense. The second thing was 35 like- 35 or 38? 38. So 38, but you're 42, but you have- No, no. So, so my, mat, my, my age thing is a very strange thing. I don't know if I was born in 77 or 78. My mother does not recall. I came from a really crazy household. My, my birth certificate says one thing. My ID says another. It's insane. So I was born in 77. If you do the math, help me out here. I like to stick to 41 because it's a good number and it doesn't make me feel old. I'm sure I'm later. Yeah, you're I'm 79. I'm 42. Okay, I was born 12, 10, 77 is my birthday. Yeah, so you're 44. Yeah, that's, but when that's we, a even rough when you number. Let's go back to 41, all right? <laughs> <laughs> so true, man. Yeah, when you came in, he's like, you know, I'm 42 years old. And, yeah, now, you know, even before no. we started the podcast, he told me he was 42. I was like, yeah, I'm 42 too. He's like, right on. Travel right, you're 42. You're <laughs> fucking 38. Yeah. So, so the first thing that happened was I was no longer accepting of the circumstances I placed myself in. And as addicts are alcoholics, you know, the, the thing that we do least is accept responsibility for our actions. Right. Did that. Uh, second thing was, was I could no longer deny the severity of my disease that I accepted the diagnosis of, right? Cause my very best thinking places me here over and over and over. And I see that it works for people like you because you have 19 years sober. Like I see that. Right. So uh, maybe I am the problem and the drug is merely the catalyst that got me to a position to finally ask for help and get better. And, and, and it has nothing to do with the drug. It's just the behaviors, the thinking, the attitude. And, uh, I, I just kind of got out of my way and I, and, and I was demoralized in just such a fashion where I was beaten into that state of reasonableness. The pain became so great that I was no longer like, Afraid. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. That's all I knew is that I no longer wanted to feel how I felt. The pain was like, I'm not the alcoholic that changes when shit's unmanageable. I change when it's unfucking bearable. So what it describe for me what unbearable fucking unbearable means. Oh, uh, okay. Um, like what are the thoughts? What is this? I'll just thing? I'm gonna give you a mental picture. Yeah, give it. And to if me. there was an artist here, they could draw it. Um 30, 38, I believe, 38 years old, walking into my 13th treatment center, despite like being a successful individual that had did some things in life that people would accredit to success, happiness, potentially even dream of. The reality of what my disease really looks like is this. May 24th, 2015, I come to in Mercy Hospital after having been on life support for seven days. The very same hospital my mother's a nuclear physicist on the board of. Um, I ripped the tubes out of every hole in my body. You can use your imagination. I, I put my clothes on and I, and I run into West Baltimore to, to cop a little bit more heroin. And, and, and at this time I'm a homeless drug addict, right? So I, I have these like at once point in time, nice pair of slacks with no underwear on underneath. Cause I'm like, I don't do that. And these cigarette hole burns in my pants. 
uh, I have this button up shirt on and I have these Brooks Brothers shoes with one shoestring. I had lost the other shoestring along the way. And when I went to cop from the boys, the boys saw fit to rob me as opposed to serve me. And when they robbed me, they ripped my front and my back pockets completely out. Now my dick and my ass are completely exposed. They ripped my shirt open and the only button that stays buttoned is this very top button. And I have these shoes on with one shoestring. I'm now roaming the streets of West Baltimore looking like a gay East LA cholo gangbanger. Everything that I own in my life consists of eight scarves, two jackets, three socks, one stick of deodorant that fits into that bag that doubles as my pillow, a needle, a spoon, and a restraining order. That's all I own at 38 years old. My very best. Restraining order. Yeah. My mother had served me a restraining order to physically be removed from her home because I was like literally killing her on a layaway plan by her having to watch me get high every day, all day, right? Like I've never, my mother's everything to me. I've never like physically done anything to her mentally. Like I was just fucking bashing her in the head with a brick over and over. You know what I mean? Emotionally. Like, yeah, emotionally, just like, yeah. and I would have done the same if the role was reversed. Like I, I completely get it. My very best has me standing on the corner of Eastern Avenue and Patterson Park prostituting my body just to secure enough finances to acquire another bag. And I, Men, women. Anybody that Anyone who you don't care. Yeah. Like, I, 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 again, I lost the right to have a say-so in my life with my disease that I possess. And, and I just couldn't deny that, like, how bad things it got. And here's another big part in that play. Every time without fail... Heroin, wine, cocaine, pills, it did its job. When I called, it showed up. I injected it, I swallowed it, I sniffed it, I snorted it. A delusional effect was produced without fail that would allow me to escape the reality that I had created for myself. Mm -hmm. Meaning that like, not only is like, standing on the corner prostituting my body for heroin like not bad it's almost desirable right like it creates this delusional narrative for in sure. my mind that allow me to justify I, the horrible behavior. No, no, i did a few times back i get it so yeah so right? i wasn't working the corner yeah that would have been a whole other level <laughs> i think i was too vain to work a corner but i had a different game plan well i was but too that was the, that was that you're you got beaten into such desperation yes. and loss of control you had no fucking choice to survive. Exactly. So you when I go, survival. literally, when I go speak at these programs and stuff, I'm a motivational speaker and, and I have to share, because if they're anything like me, they'll sit in the back and they'll, they'll, they'll deflect or justify their story compared to mine because I was never that guy, nor would I ever be. And I have to remind them that my story was not my story either in the beginning mm. until it, because I was too vain to work the corners too, until I wasn't too until vain. Until you weren't too you vain, right? Like, I get it. Like it's just so, the layers. So what happens? So you're in, you have a button. I kind of imagine it's, I don't know why there was a cartoon called Darkwing Duck back in the day. I remember that. Yeah, I just picture you had like a little cape. Yeah, that's but I'm picturing very you like in your your crotch is open, your I, ass I, is open. You got robbed of your pocket. Why did they steal your pockets? Well, they ripped my pockets out as they were robbing. Just you. like gotcha, my front and my my pocket. So and I had no underwear on, so it just ironically ripped out like this, and then my back. So I, like I had crotchless. So pants you're, you're standing outside. Oh yeah, roaming the streets of like the projects in Baltimore City with 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 completely exposed. Literally, mm. uh, my shirt with only the this button that remained buttoned, and shoes with one shoestring on, and 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 everything that I own, and I still have this bag in my house. When I get home, I'm gonna take a picture of it and send it to you. It's right in my foyer of my home. Uh, the same bag. The same bag. I'm, I'm a firm believer that I keep my past married to my present because the moment I forget the pain that brought me through the doors that offered me salvation, I'll forget. Because I have this selective memory when right. it plays in fit. And the longer I stay sober, the more in jeopardy I could be if I don't remain proactive in my sobriety. Mm -hmm. right? But here's the deal. It's really pretty simple today because I've done the work. But tell me what happens then in that moment. So, fuck, a lot happened. Um, so because you're telling me this is the mindset. This yeah. is the demoralizing yeah. moment. Yeah. So here, okay. So so then uh, I show up. Uh, I have to see my parole officer in that outfit. They take me to see the parole officer. He grants me one more shot of, of, of mercy, clemency, if you will, and sends me back to the same facility I have been to. Four previous attempts out of 13 overall. 
And what it would look like is usually I would sit in the same chair with the same intake coordinator and she would say to me, okay, Mr. Novak, your insurance will cover you for 90 days. My rebuttal to that without fail would be 90 days in theory is great, but in reality, I'm more of like a 45 day kind of fella, right? I got this woman to see, this job to fulfill, this state to go to. Yeah. May 25th, 2015, the terms of my contract had forever changed. I'm sitting in the same chair with the same woman. She gives me the same offer with fail. fail. But on this day, the only difference is I can't come back with a counter offer because if I say no, it entails an explanation. For the first time in my life, I was beaten speechless by my disease. I swear to God, I couldn't put like two words together. I was just... <sighs> like done. I was beaten into submission. And she gently laughed and she said, sweetheart, you're in no condition. You're in no condition to do your intake. Get up to detox. I'll see you in four days. I take my gay East LA Cholo gangbanger look and my eight scarves, two jackets, three socks, stick a deodorant fits into my bag, doubles my pillow, needle, spoon, restraining order. And I walk up to the detox. I'm met by a 19 year old tech that goes by the name of Brian and Brian's smiling from ear to ear. And he said, Mr. Novak, you're back. I said, aren't you a fucking genius? You don't skip a beat, do you boy? Like he said, Mr. Novak, I regret to inform you, your clothes are not rehab oriented. You need some underwear. You need some sweatpants. You need some slides. And I heard you nut jobs always telling me a grateful addict will never use again. A grateful alcoholic will never. That sounded great, but it didn't really apply. But on this day, as smiling, happy-go-lucky, sober, 19-year-old tech rehab working Brian smiles from ear to ear, and I'm the least confrontational you could have ever met, like from things that I experienced Broken. as a child, father, right. yeah. But I've never wanted to knock someone's head off more in my life because it had been so long since I smiled or found optimism in anything that I took it really personal when you did it in my company, you know? <laughs> And, and he said, it's okay, Mr. Novak, come downstairs to the basement. We're going to go to the donations room and we're going to see if we can find you some used underwear. And I'm praying to God that he finds me used underwear. Now, keep in mind, this is a Catholic charities rehab that cost me $2 to get into. We walk downstairs to the basement. The electricity doesn't work. The, the walls are kind of sweating. There's these boxes, cardboard boxes that are coming apart at the seam because they're just like mildewy. Yeah. And he gives me his phone and I'm holding his phone and he's thumbing through looking for a pair of second, third, fourth, fifth hand pair of used underwear. I'm praying to God that he finds them. At that moment, if you would have opened up the English dictionary and added the word less to every word in that book, that's how I felt about my life at that moment. Unbeknownst to me, my life was about to forever change. Um, he doesn't find me the used underwear, but what he finds me is a pair of size 40 women's sweatpants with no drawstring, a woman's tank top, and a pair of size 13 Jesus sandals. I'm not a woman and I do not wear a size 13. But what happened at that very moment, I went, right? Because when I put my hand up and I say, I'm an alcoholic, all that means is that I'm defiant by nature. I hate authority and I'll never conform <laughs> because I possess this job that places me in a lot of positions I don't like to be in. And it allows me to feel a lot of feelings I don't like to feel. And that job consists of knowing everything. Mm. So thank you, Mr. 19 years for suggesting to me what I should do to save my life. But I'm going to suggest why you should fuck off. Mm -hmm. Standing in the basement of that Catholic Charities Rehab as this kid hands me women's clothes and shoes did not fit. I, I came to the realization that, you know what I do know is that I don't know. And my very best thinking, despite movies, uh, the author who's written an autobiography, addiction memoir about my life, insanely successful skater is now in, 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 in. So when he hands me these women's clothes and shoes and outfit, I was overcome with a sense of willingness, unlike anything a human has ever produced. And now what I understand to be clear is, is having remained sober for a long enough period of time, having done the work, it's very easy for me to look back and recognize the synchronicity in life's events that have led me literally right here, right now, that proved to me that the God of my understanding has been doing so much more for me, so much bigger than I could ever conceive. Mm. When I was handed those clothes that were meant for a woman and shoes didn't fit, I, I was overcome with that sense of willingness. And, and what I didn't know then that I know now is that I was met directly face to face by the God of my understanding as a direct result of that gift of desperation. Mm. The pain had become great enough that unbeknownst to me, it became like my purpose. I just like wanted to not feel how I felt anymore. Went upstairs, got a shower, got that Baltimore city smell off me, never so excited to put women's clothing on in my life. 
right? And, and I success, that's kind of like where I can look back and recognize that these miracles were taking place. At, I mean, now I can see that they were happening way before, but, but on that day, those were the, the, the series of events that allowed me to be like, whoa, something's different. Right. And, and in a lot of ways, because you've now, you know, you, you opened a facility, you opened up another sober living facility, recovery living. Yeah. And, and that all, the gift of you being able to offer that to other people is the direct result of the struggle that you went through. And the story that you went through and the pain that you went through has allowed you now to be a light in other people's lives. Right. Literally. Uh, you know, the things that they told me in treatment, uh, I still stick to very closely. And what they told me was like, if you change your perception, you can change your world. Hmm. And that one day your defects can become your assets. The very same reason someone with 19 years sober, insanely successful in the recovery community will reach out to you and say, hey, will you come on my podcast and deliver a message of promise, hope, and freedom, one that mm. doesn't consist of a drink or a drug in a form of, which I do, attraction rather than promotion. Right. Right. I, I try to give my story in such, such a manner um, and use the platform that I've built prior to sobriety uh, in a way that it's so desirable, attractive, and appealing so much so that you like want to fuck it. If I can get you to that point where you want what I have so bad, right? That it becomes your idea. And you say at the end of my story, if he can do it, hmm. there's no reason why I can't. If I can get you to that point off of my story, then my job is done here, but it has to become your idea. Yeah. You know, yeah, my really defects does. have become my assets. Yeah. You know, unbeknownst to me, I, I was incapable of seeing the blessings that were taking place at that moment. But what I did know is that my way no longer worked. I couldn't deny that. And now I'm here with you. Now you're here and now we're sitting and. Yeah. What would you recommend to someone 17, never has done drugs and his friends are pushing it on him and he wants to try it. What would you recommend to that kid? If I was talking to any 17 year old and they asked the question of if I thought it was a good idea for them to take part in, in, in some form of activity with a substance that will allow them to escape their reality. My question to them would be what's lacking in your life that you think you need to have a substance provide a better life for you. Like where are we falling short there? Right? Like let's get to the why of the matter, not the physical act of, of what's being proposed. Right. I think because what I've learned in my life, if, if you, for me, I had to uncover my problem in order to discover it if there were ever any hopes for me to recover from it. You know, so I had, I get all fucking deep and spiritual with my deal, but like it's, it's a, it's a much deeper thread than usually the, the, the drink or the drug is just the byproduct of the actual root of the problem. You know, so, so I'm a big believer of like, let's dissect this a little bit. Like w w what's lacking in your area? Yeah. Right. And, and usually if, if, if I take the time, which is fucking tough, you know, the, the longer I'm sober, the more that's asked of me, the more responsibilities I have, I can get caught up in, in the things of life and, and forget that the importance of time and, and, and giving it to people when it's needed, especially in the world that I work in, you know, I, I, I kind of just go, go, go. And sometimes I, I, I neglect people of, 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 of the attention they deserve, you know? I like that. That's, um, I guess you can say the same question applies to you too, Mike. What would you recommend? Uh, why are your eyes so glazed? I don't know. Cause <laughs> your I'm, eyes like, are I'm, very, glazed. I'm very touched by everything that he's talking about. I, I feel like I was, I feel like I was almost there with you. Like just like right next to you. When he was talking about his past. Yeah. Once his crotch and ass went away, I kind of disappeared from the <laughs> he scene. Just went there. No, I just kind of watched from the rooftop across the street. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder what that is. But you were right there with him. I was right there. Yeah. Uh, like I, I was, I was trying I mean, when he described, know. when he described this, the walls were sweating. Yeah, I was I, like, I, I felt fucking it. poetic over here. I was like, that was the best description I was of the use, basement yeah. walls that I've ever heard. Yeah. I was going to use moist, but that word, people yeah, tend to have problems. 
yeah, it's not yeah. desirable. So, yeah, the moist is a I weird like world. It's like a turn off. So <laughs> yeah. you know, it's a whole attractive a piss of sleight of hand card game here. You bro. described it perfectly. Yeah, you did. Described it perfectly. But Mike, well, I don't, what, what, what would question? you what would you recommend to someone? A young get kid. your head out of my crotch and ass <laughs> his pants. Uh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> what, what would you recommend to a kid? Never touch drugs. Like think about looking back whenever you were at the age where you first uh-huh. picked up, you know, your first drug or you ever tried it, what would you recommend to someone? If someone's an addict and they're an addict, there's really not much you can do to steer them because they're just going to figure it out even if they're in Alaska. But I do think what we're lacking in culture, now I don't know whether or not people would partake in it, but some would, is in school to teach about how to deal with anxiety, how to cope. Regardless if someone thinks they're too cool to take the class or not, some seeds would get planted, which at the end of the day would give us some tools to navigate life a little bit. Because there's some people that their coping skills or where they learn coping in their house, whether they're an addict or not an addict, they just, they literally don't know how to cope. They don't know how to believe in themselves. They don't know how to pick themselves back up again. They haven't learned. They didn't have a skateboarding totally. experience where they were brilliant in one area. They've always thought maybe they sucked at sure. everything. And I just wish schools would focus more on that than algebra. I couldn't I just, agree more. Or or more on that agree. than... I couldn't agree So more. many class or even PE. I mean, physical yeah. education. You're just like... Why don't we teach people how the most important thing, which is how to treat yourself and how to cope. Yeah. It's just so odd that it's not a thing. And I think if we got to them at that age and stage of the game, you wouldn't get me at my age and stage. You know what I mean? I would have been, you know, salvageable or redeemable. Yeah. Or at least had prevention or, or maybe went a route because you can also go a route where you can get really, get high off of meditation and spiritual yes. experiences. And that also helps a lot of people if they end up in that route, but that route isn't very accessible yeah. at a young age. You're no. kind of, you know, yeah. you're, you're, that's like a, it's almost like you hear of this, this <laughs> Island of like people, third but, world right, right. but it's, I think that's where, um, in my opinion, the, that that's, what's like lacking in this world is just, yeah. Cause you can't help what family you grow up in, mm-hmm. you know, you just kind of dealt that family and you can have amazing parents mm-hmm. or not amazing parents. And if you have no other, you know, I, I think there's this idea that somehow people will just really want to be mentored by a teacher. I mean, maybe I never really had that. I can't even remember my teacher's name. Yeah. You know, I'm no disrespect. My sister's a teacher. I love her, but it, it's like, it's like what we say in the rooms. I didn't want what I had, but I didn't want what they had. Mm. Yeah. yeah. But that's only because I wasn't offered <laughs> anything to have <laughs> besides so algebra. Easy, easy decision for you to make. Yeah. It's like, look at the options. What is this? <laughs> right? No, I, it's it's so spot on. It really is. And, but that's the thing. In the, in this world that we're in of of harm reduction, harm reduction or, or, or prevention, there's no margin for error, yet it's impossible to do perfect. Yeah, it's impossible. So if we had the answer, we could bottle that thing up, thing up and sell it and be a billionaire a billion times over. Yeah. Now it's just like I'm a big fan of trying and doing you something. Know, today, two guys... Um, two guys that I, I, I went... I won't say where I went because then I'll give away their... But it was, it's, it's, you know, just workers. They're, they're, they're people I went by a business because I had an errand to run. Mm-hmm. Both of them, uh, one had a year off weed. These two guys basically are addicted to weed. Mm-hmm. And they're telling me they're the most miserable they've ever been in their life. They're angry. They're confused. They're, they're smoking every hour. They can't stop doing it. And it's... And I don't give a fuck what people can do what they want to do in their life. But there's this idea that with addiction that even, okay, I'm not, I'm not like Brandon. I didn't do heroin. That somehow your misery that people are equally the suffering, suffering, suffering. And I just think that, you know, even if someone's listening to this and they're suffering with weed addiction, totally you it's just interesting. I'm coming across a lot of guys uh, and it's specifically men. Huh? 
Well, in California, which kind of makes a lot of sense with the the weed world out here. Yeah. And you have the Cali Sober, right? Which yeah. is you don't drink, but you smoke. And, and that, again, whatever makes you happy and, and feel like you have that lust for life to get out of bed every morning, I'm a fan of it. Yeah. Who am I to say what the right or wrong way to live is? And I get a lot of those calls too. Well, I'm just smoking herb, but I feel terrible and I know I'm not a heroin. And then like, it doesn't matter the, the desired choice that led you to get on the phone to call me. The end results are the same. The disconnection from reality, homicidal, suicidal, depressed, anxious, disconnect. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter the route that we took to. What's your favorite tool to self-regulate when you feel like you're in a bad mood? It depends on what created the bad mood. You know, uh, a lot of times it, I wake up every day and in some days, like I'm out here in California and, and I just, I couldn't skate. And, uh, and I had created this whole itinerary, this list of things that were going to be done and accomplishments that will be made. And, and first day I'm, I'm wiped out. And since that every day, it's a struggle for me to come out of my hotel room. Right. Like I'll go down that rabbit hole really quick. And then I come out today and end up with my friends and we swim. And I had like a, a really peaceful, meditative day and it was amazing. So ultimately what I know today is that I'm armed with the facts. I know that like I am the problem and I have, uh, it's no longer acceptable for me to sit in my, in my problem. I know there's a solution. I have this heightened sense of awareness that people like you have taught me that ignorance is no longer bliss. And I have to like do what's necessary in order to get myself out of my position. So if, if I'm out here, then I'll, I'll reach out to somebody that like is sober, that might be going to a meeting. I'll take a walk, just getting outside of my house, just getting some fresh air, getting the endorphins moving. Yeah. Um, Getting connected to life Something, in some, some way. Some form of connection. Some, some, yes. some outlet that you can plug Please. into yes. that gets you out of the state of mind of just Here, sitting in the a hotel problem. room. Right. The right. problem. Get you moving a bit. Yeah. And you know, the opposite of addiction is connection. Yeah. Right. So I know that, but it's, it, it takes everything in me to put my clothes on, which isn't an, an elaborate event. It's some fucking workout pants and a t-shirt to go to the elevator, to go down to the lobby, to walk outside. That's like the equivalent to climbing Mount Everest mentally. Right. Because what I learned is my mentality will create my reality. And that's why you say you got to take the action. Literally. And the thoughts follow. Yeah. I, yeah, I can't. I'll out. think myself out of that room. But if I'm like, shut the fuck up. Boys do what they want to do. Men do what they have to do. Stop thinking. Do more. I just get up. I make myself. And before I know it, I'm outside. I'm like, wow, I feel better. So what did you say boys do? I love that. Yeah. yeah it went so quick. That was good. <laughs> like, say, yeah, say that one more time. I get all excited. This gets me <laughs> well, high. You said uh, boys do what they want to do. Men do what they have to do. And that's, I say that to my, I say these mantras to myself that help me on a daily basis mm -hmm. like that. Rejection is God's protection. God doesn't do things to us, but for us. You know, I say that a lot, those two things. A yeah, lot. when I, I got, I couldn't afford one year of Christmas gifts. So I worked at this place called the Retreat Center. It was a 12-step based place in Minnesota. And I got everyone bookmarks where my face would be at the top smiling. That's great. And and the the it said, fear knocked, faith answered, there was no one there. <laughs> and I love that yeah. quote. Just, I just love thinking about it, how uh, when there's fear and you apply faith that Literally, there's nothing there. It no. disappears. And recovery has so many cool sayings. It and does. So many. It's like a pity party table for one. The yeah. ambulance will come right over. Keep it totally. simple. Yeah. It's all those. And Dr. Phil says this. He goes, he says, uh, uh, what, what does he say? Uh, not cliches. Um, what are they called? All these things that we're talking about. These attacks. I know. Um, uh, mantras. Uh, Taglines. Quotes? Uh, it's no. going to drive me crazy now. I won't think of it because I'm thinking of it. Yeah. But he says they're re they, they become that and they, they live over time Yeah, because they're so real. Yeah. I mean, they save my life on a daily basis. Yeah. You know, yeah. because I'll, I'll allow myself to go insane. So, Brandon, where can everyone find you? The Online, easiest what's way the best is, way? yeah, you could just go to my website, which is www.brandonnovak.com, all one word. Um, and that will take you down the rabbit hole of all of my other things.
Cool. And in those other things, there's, there's, you've written two books. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I, I'm really stoked on that. I wrote my first book, which was titled Dream Seller, that became like insanely successful, recently revised in its ninth edition. Um, and then the sequel to that, The Streets of Baltimore, came out a year ago. I also was blessed with the ability to create the first ever addiction graphic novel called The, the Chronicles of Brandon Novak, uh, which is really cool. It's like a, it's like a, a comic book right. for people like us and, and these insane stories that I tell like that, you know, the, the Cholo gangbanger outfit yeah. look, not that one, but things like that. And we have this awesome art, uh, artist out of Germany who just, that didn't fit. The stories didn't place in the book, but I wasn't going to throw them away. So we created that. That's cool. I'm going to get a copy. Yeah. I'll send you all. I want stuff. one. I, I came underprepared, man. I, you give me all this no, nice stuff and I come book. with just, I got some ideas. We'll talk afterwards. Yeah. Cause you, yeah. Cause you got a lot of cool no, totally. stuff going on and I uh, appreciate you coming in and sitting down with us. This and- has been amazing. This has been a great day and, and a great ending to a, a really cool day. So uh, I thank you for having me. This is like really unexpected. I now love you, man. Same. Right, Truly. Cool. We're friends forever. Till next time, guys, keep it magical. Love you. Thank you. This has been a Stage 29 podcast production. The podcast is executive produced by Patty Chiano, Laferne Cusack, and Stephanie Kaysen. Our audio editors are Jackson Ruff and Jonathan DeMatty. Callie Kelts is the social media producer. And a special thanks to the rest of our podcast crew, Rwani Horinige, William Cusack, Lisa Clark, Katie Brown, and Morgan Kaler. The Always Evolving with Coach Mike Bear podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional, medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnoses, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professionals.